working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everybody, this is Matthew Krause, and you are listening to yet another episode of the podcast, Working Drummer. Today is my interview with drummer Paul Griffith. Paul's one of those drummers that draws inspiration from drummers like Jim Keltner, Zigaboo Modalest, Earl Palmer, and Levon Helm. These inspirations are reflective in his laid-back drumming style that have made him a very in-demand drummer for many artists, including John Prine, Cheryl Crow, and Katie Lang. When not drumming, Paul keeps himself busy as a professional writer and accomplished journalist. As always, you can go to workingdrummer.net. You can find out more about this podcast, see pictures, you can find out about other podcasts that we've recorded, including those that Zach Albetta has contributed so far, he's got two episodes up for the Working Drummer podcast, and I'm excited about working with Zach, so check his interviews out. There's links to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and of course, you can go to iTunes where you can subscribe to this podcast, where new episodes will be sent to your smart device every week. And also, as a reminder, this year, 2016, we are part of the Merge Network, which is Nick Ruffini's Drummer's Resource. He has his own podcast and has other things that he's doing at his website. Please go check that out. It's really great, very thorough and in-depth. Uh, we also are part of the network that hosts the Daniel Glass podcast, and I have started to listen to that. And man, let me tell you, the guy knows his stuff, and it's just, it's just awesome. So let's get to it. Here is Paul Griffith. I think I'm a stylist. You know, there's a, I get called because there's a thing that I do yeah. that other drummers maybe don't do. Uh, but I didn't. Have, I never set out to do that. It was. Yeah. Uh, it was just default. I mean, I, I wanted. To, I thought I was going to be a jazz drummer. You know, and so often I call my style failed jazz drummer. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I really it's it's true. I I, uh, I started out thinking that that was going to be the route for me, and it just sort of. And then when I moved to Nashville, for example, I played a lot of country, a lot of traditional country, but I hadn't been, I wasn't prepared for what Nashville had. But when I moved here, you know, I had the haircut and the five-piece kit, and I think I even had a china symbol. I mean, I never got a rack, but but I was trying to do the bit, to do the thing that when I moved here in 87, okay. the thing that everybody was doing with the haircut. And I mean, I really did think I could do that. Yeah. But of course, there were guys here that had, you know, for whatever reason, did it way better than I did. Well, you just mentioned the haircut twice, so yeah. I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm seeing into the minute psychology. Yeah, yeah especially in 87, because what does Steve Earle call it? The, uh, uh, oh, shoot. Uh, he's Kentucky gonna, Mud Flap? Yeah, <laughs> something like that. What is it? Oh, gosh. Um, uh, uh, the fear of false credibility or something like that. But Nashville had a period there in about 87 where yeah. I was sitting in Louisiana thinking, well, that's what I can do. Uh, so I moved to Nashville. By the time I got here, they weren't really doing that anymore. They right. had uh, it had morphed into this other thing that we think we're still seeing, kind of the rock drumming, yes. you know, thing. Yeah. And uh, that 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 was not really something I was prepared for. I had was been much more trained in roots styles, yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. So I couldn't fake it, and uh, and I, it, I I found that whenever I tried to be someone other than me, uh, I got myself in hot water, and then so I just stopped trying. That, that is a theme that comes up constantly, can be stated that when you play like yourself, yeah. you sound best. Right. And I wanted to get into like this whole stylistic mm -hmm. thing, because 
it seems like people are really gravitating towards finding drummers that have a thing mm. and really exploiting that thing that they do. Do you see that mm. going on? Oh, that sure. Way? Especially with, kid, with the kids today. Like, I, I, not, not all of it, of course, but if you listen to KCRW of some of those more eclectic stations they're playing, it's not, it's not Americana, it's just... I don't know what to call it, indie rock, indie pop stuff. I don't know what it is, but I think that's definitely quirky yeah. drumming and, and big yeah. airy kick drum sounds and calf skinny yeah. sounding things and yeah. big junky tambourines and stuff like that. Yeah, it seems to be a yeah. thing, and so, which is really cool. Mm. And it's almost like a reaction to uh, sampled drums oh, yeah. and yeah. people able to... It's not drum machines anymore, right. but it's being able to take samples and yeah. construct, uh, a, a, you know, a drum set recording without a drummer yeah, being in your house yeah, and yeah. all the software available mm. and all the clean, compressed mm. process sounds that have been used in pop records for, you know, and as technology's gotten better, the reaction to that is the quite the opposite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, almost like grunge reaction yeah. to hair metal. Yeah. It was this complete opposite. Yeah, it's kind of how music works, I guess, and oh, everything politics too, I suppose. But, but I like that. Though. I, uh, I like to think that that's happening. That it is a reaction to some stuff being so me mechanized and just. Yeah, what other form of music is that way? That the strict metronomic and yeah. absolutely in tune, absolutely in time. The one kind of, it's funny, it's ironic that the one kind of music you think of as being free and loose rock, hey, we, let's rock, let's play, let's jam, has turned into the only kind of music on the planet that is in strict metronomic time and absolutely and completely meticulously in tune. And, uh, yeah. and it stands to reason that, that people, even if subconsciously, they're going to have a reaction to that and want to hear more organic in fact, you hear that word organic, like all you got to do is watch the news and it's like organic is getting tossed around a lot. <laughs> so maybe it's all part of that. Well, what are you doing today? And you were mm. talking about you've got this uh, rehearsal mm -hmm. and uh, they threw a couple of new yeah, songs. Yeah, new charts. Yeah. 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 This is nothing new. Uh, right. The only, the only thing that threw me was that the printer's broken, so I had to go <laughs> print them out somewhere else. But, but yeah, I've got a, a show Thursday night and it's going to be uh, probably... I'm uh, 10 artists, eight or 10 artists, and you know, two or three songs a piece. And so, look, it's like 30 songs. And, uh, and, uh, one of those things we have a rehearsal today, for, I think five hours to sort of throw it all together. And so, that's the kind of thing that you can do around here because people, yeah. you learn to, to, right. to, uh, learn a bunch of songs real fast. And that is, that's as important a part of my job as anything, I think, is being able to. Uh, not really having, I don't remember what I had for breakfast most days. So uh, I've had to, you know, you got to do charts and you got to listen and you got to figure out some kind of system of notation that works right. for you. And, uh, right. and, uh, and you just kind of learn over the years, you know. What's, what's worked for you as far as like writing charts? I mean, are you doing um, traditional notation right. or just, I know it's, there's some drummers I know that use number charts. Right. Yeah, I did that for a while. The best I ever, the best I ever did with the chart thing was, was, was I was playing just a little bit of bass guitar just for fun with some mm -hmm. friends of mine. So yeah. I started taking the bass out and doing my own number charts and, uh, and uh, that is a wonderful way to learn a song. If I had the time uh, or if I wasn't so just incredibly lazy <laughs> really uh, I would learn them all that way because it's you know bass players have to start 
and stop the note, unlike drummers for the most part, to just kind of bash yeah. it, let it go. Uh, and it, it teaches you the value of a note. And I, I found that it sort of helped me internalize the feel better than playing drums along. Because playing drums, I tend to just impose my feel on whatever, you know, yeah. I was hearing. Whereas uh, playing the bass, I think I got a little more of the nuance and, and, uh, and didn't have to refer to the chart as much. It seemed like I just was able to visualize the chart in my head a little yeah. bit, the, uh, the arrangement, a little, you know, simple, fairly simple songs, of course. Chord structure. Yeah, kind of seemed the, to make more sense in my head. Yeah. Uh, but I have not done that for this. Uh, most of the charts are already written, so the, they come down the pike, and, and then I notate on them, and if, if, there charts, if there's a few charts missing, then I'll make kind of a basic rudimentary drummer chart, which is probably what serves me best. And yeah. I can, if it's complex material or if you know i don't see so good anymore so they need to be bigger i'll just do one song per sheet uh there was a time years ago when i could see a little better that i could fit maybe six or eight of those little charts on oh, one legal right. chart right. one legal pad and it's just sort of a, a combination of uh the nashville number system notation and uh counting measures you know eight yeah. bars and uh, and then standard music notation as yeah. much as i can remember of it repeats yeah. and things like yeah. that it's funny when uh, you walk into a studio and there's like somebody's chart is sitting there <laughs> on the music stand. Oh my gosh! Right? Yeah. And, you know, you sing their notes. Like, yeah. Huh, yeah. Okay, that's cool. I understand. Yeah. Or what? How do they see this? What's this chicken scratching? Yeah, yeah. That reminds me. Uh, you know, Steve, our friend Steve Bowman is is famous for leaving joke charts on the stand for the next guy that <laughs> comes in. So I've, I'm working at Fritz's. I've seen yeah. some of his uh, handiwork. And you, you think it's serious, and you're reading it, you're like, ah, Bowman, you know. <laughs> uh, um, what uh, what kind of styles are, are you covering on this gig coming up? Ah, boy, it's got a, you know, they're funny. You should say that, because there's a couple. I don't know uh, this band, uh, but it must be a duo, because they've got a band name. I can't remember what it is right now. Uh, duo or something. Um, and it's a very techno-y, country-y, hmm. sort of, which is... So I'm so excited about playing those songs. I'm probably going to screw them up. But I've, I've probably, I don't want to think I've shortchanged the rest of the gig, but I've kind of fallen so in love with doing some kind of version of this that I will be able to do on my Civil War, my Civil War drums, you know, yeah. uh, and not having the technology that whoever did this track has. So I'm thinking, well, how can I duplicate that on a, you know, what would Levon do, you know? And yeah. so I'm, I'm really trying to think, and I hope it doesn't screw them up. They don't have to use me ever again on their gig, but <laughs> I'm going to do what I want, and we'll see if it works. But I think uh, it's a really cool track. And, I, you know, like I said, this is, this is so out of my wheelhouse. If, if, mm. if this is what a band wants, and I was on a session, I, wanted, I would honestly just have to say, you probably need to call, you know, Near Z or mm -hmm. one of these other guys, because this stuff is like, uh, Mandarin to me uh, but you know given a little bit of time you know yesterday and today I kind of worked out something that I think will suit our band because the house band is a bunch of you know Roots Radics you know it's Jake's on bass and mm -hmm. Michael Webb and Mike Daly and uh, yeah, right. we're you know we're firmly in the in the Brown Album camp you know <laughs> so that's, that's what's awesome. gonna <laughs> that's, awesome. that's what I'm thinking and at this point I, I should just say just real quickly because this kind of pays into that there was a time when I probably would have run down to no I wouldn't have but I would have thought about running down to Forks and getting, you know, trying to imitate what that drummer is doing. But for me, I think, and this is like the biggest theme for me lately, is I'm at a point, I'm 59. I've been in Nashville since 87. And I care, but I'm not going to worry about it. You know, I'm really not going to worry about it. And that just, that ha I, I wish I'd learned how to do that when I first came to town. I wish I had mastered the sort of 
I'm going to go in there, do my best job I can possibly do, and leave. And if somebody doesn't like it, they don't ever have to call me again, whatever. And I was, I was okay with that. I think I've finally gotten to a point where I'm starting to see that, that I'm able to behave that way. Because you kind of... What are the results of that? I mean, all right. Well, my, my girlfriend's a lot happier because I'm not beating myself over the head when I come home from a gig. You know, it's just, ah, shitty gig, you know. Where's the bourbon? But um, uh, so there's that. Uh, but also, I think I... Uh, yeah, just I've given myself license, you know. I, I think I'm believing what people have said about me, which I'm, you know, pretty insecure guy. If that's not obvious already, but I, I, uh, you know, I tend to believe the worst. And and uh, I guess at some point, at some level, I'm believing. Hey, these people are calling me for some reason, you know. Even though I look around and I see all these amazing drummers like yourself and Nick Buddha and uh, obviously Marshall. There's so many. Uh, you know, it's just it's 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 nuts. Marco, all these guys. Yeah, and it's it's yeah, and there's always new players. Oh, I knew. Yeah, you know. Radford. Oh, yeah. Don't get me started. You know, yeah. and you hear you know, you know these names pop up and you haven't even heard of these guys and yeah. they're and they're just great. Uh, so it's the comparing thing, I guess. Yeah, you know, always. you have to just sort of say they're got to be calling me for some reason, or even if the best I can muster is. I sure fooled them. <laughs> I fooled them for all these years. Amazing. What what a job, you know. So. I think you know. Again, the, the the podcast is called Working Drummer, and it's it's what people do. You know, yeah. they, they're they're working, and yeah. you, it's more than just the the okay. What do I do with the practice pad today? How yeah. do I get through this? You know, this gig or this. Yeah. It's uh, physically. It's the psychology behind yeah. it, and um, a lot of times. You just you meet these people, you hear them, you see them on stage, or you hear them on recordings, and you don't really know the things mm. that they're really dealing with. Right, that's true. And when you kind of oh, deconstruct so yeah. the, the 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 person, and and it's just so much better when you you know it's almost like when you see your hero make a mistake. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. You don't think less of them; you almost think more yes. of them because yeah. you're like, ah, oh, I. Th- think I can get a little bit closer mm. because he's just like me. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I remember I, I was working with Carlene Carter a long time ago, uh, touring with her, and she had used Keltner on half the record. Mm. She, and she said something like, well, you know, Jim was great, but we wanted to get Ed Green Jr. to do the rest of the record because Jim just kind of massages the drums, and it just wasn't really happening and i'm thinking yeah he massages the drums he's a genius that's that's what he does but and I, but then it, it dawned on me oh my god you know they didn't keltner didn't get the call back for that gig and i'm thinking and he's my one of, one of my heroes because he's sort of a stylist so i sort of yeah. looked at him and said okay there's a guy that doesn't sound like anybody else that that's kind of getting work so uh, uh i i've always admired him a lot and it was, like you say, it was kind of good news to hear. It was like, you know, he's just a schlub, just a working guy like me. And mm-hmm. and so much of what we do is out of our hands. Yeah. And we can't control what's in a producer or songwriter's head yeah. uh, and what they hear. Right. All we can do is bring our thing to the table. And uh, and to take it personally when that doesn't work is, once again, it's kind of madness. When you when you break it down like that, it's a very unhealthy uh or not unhealthy. It's normal. It's uh, right. it's insecurities and. I think that's like my that. point. Is that this is just normal. Yeah. And unless you hear it from somebody, unless somebody says, "Hey, listen, it's fine. Yeah. This is you know, yeah. uh, 
It's not your fault, Paul. Yeah, it's, it's not your thank fault. You. <laughs> thank you. Fault. It's true. Yeah, uh, I need someone telling me that. I need a little, someone on my shoulder <laughs> telling me that all the time. Well, I think I uh, had an epiphany years ago when I found out that uh, Fogarty's record, Blue Moon Swamp, mm. he used like multiple drummers. Mm. He each took like five or six tracks mm. and played them all. Mm. Then he chose only one song mm. from mm. some of these drummers, mm. except for Arnoff, mm. who played. I think he used almost all of Ken mm-hmm. Arnoff's mm-hmm. uh, tracks. He loves but, that guy. Right. And for good reason. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was one of the first recordings they did together. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah, yeah, sure. But he was using Eddie Bears. Yeah. He was using Vinnie Caliuta. Wasn't like Prairie Prince, I think, too, from the Tubes was on some Fogarty stuff. At some uh, point. Well, it, uh, there was more than that, for yeah. sure. The, yeah. More than just those three guys. And, uh, and I just... I. You know, everyone holds Vinny in such high esteem mm-hmm. as far as just this this brilliant technician mm-hmm. and great player. Mm-hmm. But there was something that Arnoff did yeah. that um, that resonated with uh, Fogarty, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. that worked. And mm-hmm. so that was just, and that came out at a time when uh, I had recorded some tracks, and then for a, for a guy in Columbus, and uh, and then there was another drummer that came in and replaced, I think, two mm-hmm. or three of the mm-hmm. songs mm-hmm. that I did. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, uh, here's the record. Uh, just so you know, uh, we used somebody else. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they were nice of, enough to tell you. That's Right, as opposed to here's, and they're like, I don't remember playing that. Yeah. And, you know, he killed, he sounded great. Yeah. He killed it. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I, yeah. now I know why. Yeah. But that was just that was just yeah. good to hear it happens to everyone and 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 that uh, ronnie off the bass player has a name for that when they replace you on a record he calls it getting wharfed after <laughs> <laughs> after the famous you know glenn wharf uh, bass player i guess he replaced ron on something once he was oh i got wharfed on that <laughs> but it, uh, you know it, uh, uh, rejection is part of the job description i think and i don't care how good you are think you are you know uh, but if you if you can't handle rejection then you probably ought to have your own band you know because or even then you're going to get you know labels are going to reject you it's part of the music business and yeah. you read i love music business uh, biographies and autobiographies because you you know you read these things and you realize just you know that it that the guys that make it in this business are the ones that just won't take, who just won't take no. They say, "I want to do this, and I'm going to keep doing it." And I, to some extent, that's me. Though I, I have certainly had ups and downs where I'm like, "I'm never doing this again." Sort of moments uh, where I really kind of quit in my mind yeah. uh, b- before. But um, but my experience has been very much like everyone's. It's just you know, you keep getting you you know, there's there's going to be glorious moments. But that glorious moment's not going to last. Something's going to come along, knock you off your horse, and yeah. that is life. Yeah. Uh, but when we're artists and when our personal, you know, the things we've done with our own hands are, are what's being, are hanging in the balance here, yes. uh, then that stuff is hard to not take that personally. But you have to not take it personally if you can, you know, to try to really not take it personally. Yeah, and I think it's more and more difficult these days to manage those emotions and mm-hmm. manage how you deal with rejection and when you see other people doing things that you want to oh, do yeah, because yeah. their social it's media tough, yeah. and it's just this yeah. onslaught of hey this is what i'm doing and yes. this is my office for the day and all of this yeah. stuff and it's it can be what do they say that uh, people that spend time on facebook walk away more depressed yeah than yeah. you know you think oh, yeah. i want to check facebook but right. it's like be aware yeah when you do that now it's good to see what's going on. It's good to right. kind of use it for what it is. Um, you know, again, it's social right. media. Yeah. But you have to have a, a just be prepared. Mm-hmm. Have that perspective. Yeah. 
know that that same person that you're like, man, I wish I was playing that yeah. arena, or I wish I was doing that session in that studio, right. or playing with so and so, they've had just as many heartbreaks, uh -huh. rejections. That's true. You're just not going to post it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got fired today. Uh, yeah. No, you're right. But I don't want to be that whiner. Right. Guy, right. But yeah, you get. It's important to try to stay positive. I, I mean, that's. I think social media is forever. You know, it's out there, and like, because you you can delete it. But people, it's forever in people's minds. I think when you're that guy that gets yeah. up there and. But you got to promote yourself, and I'm the worst self promoter. I just don't have the the gene. You know, I, I, the IFA. You got to find a way to 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 get your to socialize with the with your clients, potential clients, with your peers. Well, you uh, say you're the worst at it. Yeah, I'm the very bad at getting it. the calls. You're getting calls to work. Yeah. So I've been here a long time. <laughs> Maybe that's part of it. But I, what I was going to my my workaround has been breakfast. You know, I can't I can't any longer stand to go out to clubs unless it's something I really want to hear. And even then, it usually ends up being weird going to hear bands i don't know if you have this experience in nashville if i'm already out and i'm about and i've played a gig mm -hmm. then maybe i'll go see someone on the way home but to go out and see a show in nashville if you know everybody you know, people want to talk and it's it's not a great place to experience live music i don't think because it's mm -hmm. very networky and things like that yeah. but you got to find a way to do it uh and uh you know when before social media when i first moved to town 87 there was guys that seemed to be at every audition they just knew, mm -hmm. uh, and, and every time you went to a showcase or anywhere, just if you had played one or were there, mm -hmm. there those guys were. So there's a certain people that promoting themselves is more of a natural thing, and I might more power to them. There's you know, and it certainly helps you yeah. know these guys that have that sort of. But the, the, I'm not that way, and it's just like the playing thing to force myself to do it. It sound it seems forced like a. Uh, it's, you know, not, it's not a natural, it, you know, uh, it, it would, I think, be a, it wouldn't be being true to myself to be suddenly all over social media splashing pictures, of, you know, of my, you know, who I'm working with, arm around, you know, my arm, somebody dies, so you got your picture with them, arm around them, you know, there's me and Glenn Fry, whatever, uh, and uh, I just can't be that guy, and uh, I'm not going to try, and if it hurts me, well, so be it, I'll just go have more breakfasts with people, you know. That's, you mentioned that, yeah. the breakfast. Yeah, breakfast so. works for me, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not drinking all that much anymore, uh, you know, and uh, and. Uh, I can't get up too early for the coffee date. You know, it's early enough for the coffee thing. But, you know, 10 o'clock breakfast with people is a, a great way to sort of someone's new to town or someone wants to, you know, use you on something. Hey, let's have breakfast. And, and, and then chances are, if you're at the biscuit house or the family wash or the hermitage having breakfast, you're going to see six or eight other guys. Yeah. I mean, Kenny Malone, the in my opinion, who's the greatest drummer in Nashville, uh, and maybe ever you know you know for for all times the greatest drummer in Nashville he's in the Hermitage Cafe I shouldn't have said that on a podcast now <laughs> drummers are going to be trying to meet meet Kenny Malone but Kenny Kenny Malone is in the Hermitage Cafe all the time again I don't you know once again I don't go up and say anything to him but I kind of you know tip my hat to him because yeah. that guy and he he's, he won't play a backbeat you know he'll just get him in, he go in the studio and he's one of the most in demand guys and has the most amazing discography of any drummer in town. Yeah, he won't smack a backbeat, man. He 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 goes into a session with a kick drum and a conga and a triangle. You know, he really is very linear yeah. and uh, very much uh, avoids whatever is the cliche of the moment. And that guy works all the time. You know. Did 
you grow up in New Orleans? Uh, I was actually born in England. My parents were British, both British, and uh, we emigrated when I was seven okay. to New York West, and ended up in western New York outside of Buffalo, which was a great place to grow up, great place to grow up as a drummer because I had all these drummer friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we moved to New Orleans when I was 14. So I went to basically high school, four years of school in New Orleans, and then I uh, went to college in Louisiana also. So my family lived there until I moved to Nashville uh, in 87. Mm-hmm. So quite a while, you know, and, uh, and that was a great place. Again, another amazing place for a drummer to get to grow yeah, up, you know. Yeah, for yeah. sure, for sure. What was it? Was it the environment that drew you to music? What brought you into music and drums? Well, I had a lot of it in the family. My grandfather was a drummer, and my grandmother was a was a keyboard organ, an organist, and they had a they had a duo uh, during World War II. And uh, my father played. You know, he he just he could just do it. You know, I guess because he had there had been drums around the house when he was a kid. Yeah. My dad never played in any gigs or anything, but he could sort of mess around on a, on a drum set. Uh, and then my uh, maternal grandfather was a tap dancer, so he, and he had done a lot of that sort of thing in London when he was younger. So I sort of, in this, I guess there was a bit of that in my family. And my father was an aeronautical engineer, okay. which is why we were moving around a lot during the war, Vietnam War. Uh, but he uh, he was very supportive, and I think it's he never probably for a second thought about an artistic career, even though he was very artistic. Mm-hmm. I bet for not one second, engineering was was good enough, you know. Um, because he made that decision, I was able to, you know, ha- to choose an artistic career, you know, because I wasn't, you know, he, his parents didn't have a lot of money and he was uh, newly married and that he did the thing he, re- he did the thing that men did back then. They got a job. And- That's why I said there's so much of a generational thing. Yeah. That, you know, yeah. that's what reminds me. My parents are like that too. It's like yeah. my grandfather survived the Great Depression and then you instill this work ethic into his kids and so now my father's like, well, this is what you do. Yeah. And it affords us this. I think like we're kind of the first generation that comes in mm-hmm. to the world and says, well, I, you know, everything seems to be taken care of. Yeah. And, yes. Well, what can I do? <laughs> Everything's taken care of. Right. <laughs> what, a, what a myth. But yeah, it's true. Absolutely. It was definitely the, the, the sort of, because I know when I got out, I, went, well, I had the luxury first of going to college. And right. then when I got out of college, I had the luxury of sort of going, well, let's play drums for a while and just see how. Yeah. how that goes and I just never stopped yeah know. did you take lessons or? I did uh, they never stood they never really took I, I consider myself self-taught even though I st- took lessons from a couple of really good teachers especially a guy named Paul Edwards in New Orleans he played with Pete Fountain uh, and most of the thing I learned from him was was to go down to the French Quarter and hear these guys you know yeah. Yeah. so I, I, I never st- I never practiced I, I, I practiced with my band all the time but I, I was, I've always been a very poor uh, uh, practicer as far as having practice, practicing habits. Never very good. But I got so excited about knowing Paul Edwards, and, and he kept talking about these drummers that when I was a kid in 71, 72 in New Orleans were still alive. Stanley Williams, these guys that had played in Storyville. I mean, really serious Dixieland, which when I say Dixieland, you know, you tend to think of the straw hats and Shakey's Pizza Parlor kind of deal and matching vests, but that's not it at all. This, this is, this was jazz. That's what jazz was. Right. You know, they didn't call it Dixieland. It was jazz. It was just music, and and it was dirty and and gritty, and 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 he he had a shuffle to prove it. You know. Yeah. And uh, and that guy, I mean, how old was he? Probably in his eighties. I'm talking about Stanley Williams now. He was my favorite, and uh. He didn't ever get any famous credits or anything like that. But you could go hear him when I was a kid in New Orleans play three or four times a day. 
he'd probably do, he'd do 11, you know, 11 to 3. And he'd have, see him carrying his stick bag and his cymbals down somewhere else. He'd play four hours somewhere else. He was probably playing 12 hours a day oh at that gosh. point. And, uh, you know, long sets, you know, because yeah. you'd you, you about to buy a beer every set. So, you, you know, if you didn't play a good long set, some guy bought a beer, you were in trouble. And uh, it was just really something to see in close quarters, watch guys like that yeah. work. Yeah. And uh, and I tried. That's when, That was my my attempt at jazz years. You know, I really tried to be one of those guys. And and uh, I just, it just wasn't, I was too much of a garage garage rock. You know, it's just, that was in my, that's what I came up playing. And I just yeah. didn't didn't turn the corner to small band jazz. I was pretty good at that. But once I got to the big band thing, those guys, I think they practice. You know, <laughs> those guys practice. They're cheating. They listen. They practice. <laughs> what, what were you listening to back then? Boy, all over the map, just like now, all over the map. Uh, I love the singer-songwriters, like we were talking about earlier. I loved the, the California thing, yeah. Jackson Brown and stuff like that. I loved Russ Kunkel and Keltner and all those guys. I loved the British stuff, the British rock stuff. I was a huge Beatles fan. Yeah. I loved Paul Revere and the Raiders. Uh, and I remember seeing a picture of, them, of Paul Revere in the studio, and there was a drummer, and he had headphones on, and it wasn't... Was it drummer? Schmitty was the drummer. Schmitty and Fang. Yeah, Schmitty was the drummer. And it wasn't Schmitty. And I remember thinking, that's really weird. And it was Hal Blaine. Yeah. I think that was the first time I became aware of the fact that there's these other guys yeah. that are playing on a lot of my favorite records. Mm -hmm. And when I was a kid, this is probably, you know, 14, 15, 16, first started, had a drum kit and really, mm -hmm. oh, sorry, younger than that. Gosh, no, this would be. 10, 11 years old, something like that. When I would lay in bed and listen to my transistor radio and pretend I was a musician, I was pretending I was a studio musician. I wanted to have, I pretend I had the headphones on. I mean, I really, that's what I wanted. Once I found out those guys existed, that was what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I've never considered myself a performer. And a, mm -hmm. I'm not a good performer. I don't like, I don't want to seem like a jerk, but audiences are distracting to me. I'm sure they're lovely people, but when I'm trying to play and I'm thinking I suck in my head and I'm trying to keep the thing on the rails and do something interesting, the last thing in the world I want is a bunch of people staring at me while I'm doing it. And mm -hmm. and uh, if everything's flowing, then maybe that's a little different. You can wink at some pretty girl in the front row or something, but... But uh, for the most part, I wish they'd all just go away so I can do my job. <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> Great. Uh, that's going to be your quote. <laughs> okay, I can take it. We got negative likes something. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> What'd you, now, you didn't study music in college. No, well, no, not really. No, no. I, I took a few courses because I was at a liberal arts school and I could. Yeah. So I studied piano and uh, a theory class at you know, forget it. But um, uh, no, I studied sociology as an undergrad, and uh, and then uh, I went back to school when I turned uh, f forty. I'd always wanted to get my master's because I, I guess I kind of like school. Uh, so I had, uh, went back and got my master's from Vanderbilt at the Divinity School, just because not I just, not for any real reason at all. I just I had a background in religious studies. I really enjoy that stuff, yeah. uh, church architecture. Specifically, was a, has been an area of interest of mine. So I went back and studied, you know, church churches, <laughs> church buildings <laughs> for yeah, uh, yeah. three years at Vanderbilt, and then uh, tried to keep playing as best I could. Uh, so you know what a buttress is? I do. Yes, I do. And a nave. <laughs> I mean, you nave. No. Uh, but um, uh, yeah. So I did. I, I did. I kept trying to play. I made a couple records uh, during that period that I'm really kind of proud of, but. Uh, didn't do too much else. Just oh, your recording. own records? No, 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 gosh. No, just yeah. records I played on. Oh, records, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. no, no, nothing I've ever done uh, 
to be, anything to be proud of as far as my own stuff. But it was, um, uh, yeah, it was a weird time. I, but I, you know, I turned 40 and I was just like, I'm doing it. I'm going back. And yeah. I did. Uh, and, uh, Afterward, I know it. And while I was there, I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll teach. And then I realized that the politics that we deal with, as horrible as music business politics can yeah, be, right. the politics at the university level yes. are, are far worse. And yeah. uh, I saw some friends of mine go through some just really terrible. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, being a sensitive type, I thought, you know, I think I'll just go back to playing the drums. <laughs> I, bought, I did buy into the myth that, like anyone working a job, it would just keep going up and up and up for me, that there would be this sort of upward plane. Yeah. Because in Louisiana, I started out playing in, in clubs and making you know enough money to pay the bills, and then I got some session work. I started being the session guy at the one of the two studios in town, and eventually both of the studios in town. And, uh, and then I joined a band, so a lot of that session stuff came to an end, but the money was great. Mm-hmm. So I kept and we, you know, kept making more money, and so uh, I had the illusion, I suppose, when I moved to Nashville, that, yeah, it was going to be a struggle, but that my career would continually mm-hmm. go up. So I did have that, but that is so not the way the music business works, or any business, mm-hmm. especially the music business. It's an up and down thing, mm-hmm. and sometimes you're working, and sometimes you're not. And I don't care if you're an actor, I don't care if you're the number one call right now. It's going to happen. It might not happen right now, but, you know, you may have a couple more years, but there's going to be a dip. And if you stick at it, there'll probably be another another peak. But right, right. but everybody in this business, in, in show business, suffers from yeah. ups and downs, and especially if you're a freelance person and you're not on someone's dole. But I say even if you're on someone's dole, that's going to come to a stop at some point because it is the nature of yeah. what we do. Yeah. And uh, so you got to find a way to deal with that. If that's saving money, if that's having a very understanding spouse, mm-hmm. uh, family money, uh, something else you do on yeah. the side. I mean, some of my favorite drummers in town have other artistic pursuits that they... Keith Brogdon, great example. That guy could play with anybody. He's fantastic, but he loves graphic design. So he does the graphic design thing yeah. as well. And, and I've done over the years a writing work if I get... If, right. if things get really uh, slow, I can usually farm out some kind of, yeah. which, to be honest, doesn't pay very well at all. You mentioned, and I, sorry to interrupt you. No, no. But you're talking about, you specifically said other artistic pursuits. Yeah. And so when I was looking at all the different things that you were doing, mm-hmm. the, the writing, the con- mm-hmm. consulting, mm-hmm. the different things that you do, mm-hmm. editing, I'm thinking, wow, okay, so he's got many plates spinning, um, as sometimes musicians will do, mm-hmm. uh, to try and maintain just a level of income mm-hmm. and continue to play music, mm-hmm. continue to create mm-hmm. with music. But you're mm-hmm. not only are you talking about doing other things, mm-hmm. but you're talking about other artistic pursuits. How can you mm-hmm. continue to make money and be creative mm-hmm. outside of music? Right. Boy, yeah, that's a tough one. And, uh, uh, Gosh, that's a tough one. But I bet you, if you sit down, most of our drummer friends, maybe drummers aren't such a good example, but songwriters, guitar, usually there's something else that they, especially songwriters, there's something else that they do, you know, uh, of an artistic nature. Uh, And I guess... A lot of my drummer friends are kind of that way too. That there's... I, I just really like that because I mean there were there were times that uh, I'd have to wait tables for a month mm-hmm. or uh, work part time at the mm-hmm. YMCA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some yeah. years back when I was, you know, things were really slow. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think about doing anything creative mm-hmm. or fun. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, this I is, see. You yes. Know, yeah, I so get that. 
more than well, you had bills to pay. Yeah, right. I, I know there was a time when I thought about do, doing some cooking. I'm pretty fairly good, you know, cook. I like to cook. So uh, there was a time when I thought about that, and I actually put the brakes on it because I thought I don't want to have another career that I or another thing that I love be my career because the disappointments are so awful. Mm. When you have a, a career of something that you're in love with, like I'm in love with the drums. I mean, I, I, I walk in there and saw that snare drum you have sitting there, and my heart <laughs> melts. You know, I mean, it's just like, ah, oh. you know, it's the same as when I would open a catalog, a drum catalog when I was seven years old. You see those Imperial Lugs and you Ludwig drums. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, it does something to you, and uh, and I still have that. And and when you're that invested in something and you hold in your heart like that, and then some someone. Runs your puppy over, as Bob Cumbersmith used to say. Uh, that hurts. Yeah. And, uh, that's a big part of this, what we do, I think. Managing expectations. <laughs> and diversify, diversifying. That's what, I mean, any, in corporate terms, that's what, uh, what we're talking about. We're talking about diversifying. And if that's teaching lessons, which a lot of drummers do. Yeah. Uh, repairing and selling drums, yeah. which a lot of drummers do. Mowing lawns, which Jimmy Lester does. I mean, I don't know if he still does it because he seems real busy right now, but I know when he has gotten slow, he has this lawn service and he has a bunch of drummers working for him. And uh, so, you know, it's not really, I'm sure the way Jimmy does it, it probably is an artistic endeavor. (laughs) But, uh, you know, just some other thing. And I think it's good for me with the writing because if I had a bad day, drumming i could always say well screw it i'm a writer you know i was always meant to be a writer i can just channel my frustration into that and where and likewise if an editor doesn't like something i've written i guess oh, i don't care about that i'm a drummer i'm just doing that for fun you know and uh, but I, I think the point is that uh someone said and i don't even know where it came from but it's it sounds old uh work begats work and I think right. that's true. So I don't, I don't think it matters whether you're volunteering at the, at the VA. Yes. You know, uh, as long as you're getting up and doing something, it, it, it could be meditating. It could be writing in a journal. But getting up every day with a purpose, and, and I believe me, it sounds funny hearing me say that because I have plenty of mornings where I don't feel like I have much purpose. But, uh, but being able to do that, I think, and I've noticed when the phone really stops ringing, and I go, I just got to get out there and do something, whether it's write an article, something, that when you start getting busy, the phone starts to ring. And I don't know what kind of alchemy is at work, but once you get off your butt and start doing something, working on the car, I don't care what it is, but something that yep. you focus on and, and may not be something you want to do, you make yourself do it, whatever, uh, then the phone starts to ring for drumming stuff. Mm-hmm. And... uh and uh, it's it's uh, it's mystical. I don't know why. I don't know what the, I don't know what the, what's what's at work there. But uh, it's some sum it up. I think work work seems to lead to other work. I know during low periods, I'm like I always like I like I like Southwest Airlines. You know, I fly Southwest a lot. I'm like, well, if worst comes to worst, you know, I'll just I'll just get a job at Southwest. And can you imagine being like? You know, on the tarmac, you know, with the paddles, you know, and you look up and you see Radney Foster or something. I mean, it just, it would be awful. It would just be awful. <laughs> the paddles and you're like, call yeah. me. You call me. You want to say, call me on the paddles, you know, <laughs> your phone number on it. Get me on the yeah. next you know, Yeah. Call me. And then the plane goes yeah, the wrong plane, direction. Yeah. You're left standing on the tarmac. Your sad paddles. <laughs> <laughs> Which way is the page um, going? That way. That way. Yes, that way. Uh, <laughs> This, um, a friend of mine, like every time the phone would ring for somebody, he the person would pick up the phone. He'd say, "Hey, man, get me on it." 
Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Maybe your mom calling you like, hey, mom. And you'd be like, hey, man, get me on it. Get me on it. Uh, it's not a session. I'm it's just, not I'm a just session. Talking yeah. to my mom. Just a, yeah. That's fine. I used to have a, I, on my phone, I would always forget, and I still forget, to ask, uh, uh, how much the gig pays, which is like pretty much fundamental stuff, you know. And uh, yet somehow it's uh, I'm so thrilled to get called and have a nice chat with someone. I'll hang with the phone. I go. Ah. So at one point I had taped on my phone in big letters with Sharpie, <laughs> "How much does it pay?" Question mark. She's, you know, it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean we're good businessmen, right? I mean, I, I personally don't think I have that. Uh, what people call business, good business sense, and that's something that's worth mentioning, I suppose. Some drummers uh, really have their business act together. Steve Eby, yeah, for example, yeah, yeah. you know, guys that really have their, have their, uh, you know, Steve Eby keeps track of what he played, what what snare drum, what cymbals and stuff he's using on every track, and I mean, he's just, you know, he's he's really got that business thing together, and uh, I think it's important to have that together. I think yeah. I think sometimes we're, you know, we're hesitant. To impose some yeah. of these things because we don't want to put right nice off. guy yeah right, yeah, right. Sure. I remember Eric and I were talking about this yeah. once and um, somebody wrote us a check for a session and they said how much do I owe you and you say um, it's uh, three hundred mm-hmm. uh, is that is mm-hmm. that okay does mm-hmm. that sound right mm-hmm. and the guy wrote the check he goes you know when I charge somebody for my services mm-hmm. I tell them how much it costs. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah. you owe me this much money for my oh, yeah. work. Yeah. I don't apologize. I right. don't say, is that okay? Is that okay? Yeah. And Eric's like, I do that. I yeah. said, I know. I do that too. Yeah. I said, well, you know, we talked about this much per mm-hmm. song, so it comes up. Like, I'm doing the math. We had this conversation yeah. before. And so it's all really clear. Mm-hmm. There's no mystery about right. it. And I say, so it comes up to 300 mm-hmm. Is that okay? Mm, yeah. Like, why? Why, why would you do that? Yeah, that? The, yeah, the plumber wouldn't do that. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I think it's good to get that stuff out of the way. Like, yeah. you, you know, it really, it is a really good thing to say. Even if you have to say, I hate talking about money, but what does sure. the gig pay? I mean, no, what, that's not offensive. Why, no, you know, not at all. But, you, but it is, you for, I forget, but it's so important to say. And it, and it is like a, uh, like a plumber. I mean, in that, in that, you're a rental car at that point, you know, you, you know, you can. You you you're you're just a, you're a, you're in the expense column, and you have to decide what your what your worth is what your work is worth. And uh, the electric company doesn't care what record you. Play that's on. right. Yeah. Uh, years ago, I was dating a, a singer songwriter, and she I I played with her some, but she was putting together a tour, and I wasn't going to do it. And uh, so she had talked to a drummer that I respect and that she respected, and asked him to do the tour. And when she hung up the phone, she goes. Huh? I said. She said. She said. It's funny. I always really respected that guy. I'm not quite sure. I, uh, she was like waffling, like thinking, I don't know that I'm going to use this guy now. And I'm like, what? What? He and she said, he didn't ask what the gig pays. And I said, really? So you were wanting him to ask? And he goes, how can I take this guy seriously if he's not going to ask me how much the gig pays? So that was a real starting moment for me. Like that's you know your reality gets turned on its head. You know you, yeah. you're taken for grantedness. The things you take for granted get turned on their head. And you say, "Well, that's see, I, years I'd been taken for granted that singer songwriters don't want to talk about money." Not true. Not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. She was expecting, and she would have respected this guy more had he come right out and said, "Great, I'm going out for the week. I need seven hundred and fifty bucks. I need a thousand bucks plus whatever you know." That was what she was expecting to hear and didn't hear it. Maybe it's just, you know, that whole thing, respect for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
people will respect you. Yes. And it starts with yourself. I think that's true. I've had to. I guess feel like I should say this because uh, it's been a big thing with my playing and uh, and my, the way I approach what gigs I take and what gigs I don't is I've started having the drummer physical stuff, arthritis stuff. Mm-hmm. I know. Okay. You know, I think I mentioned I'm almost 60, so it make, everybody has arthritis. Yeah. Uh, some people have symptoms, some people don't. And uh, uh, drummers tend to have stuff. And so I've got a thumb and finger stuff going on, and I've got, I've got a pinched nerve in my neck, and I've got lower back stuff, which all very drummer, oh, yeah. drummer stuff. Sure. But it's made me go back and say, okay, you know, I got to stay, one thing, I got to stay relaxed, because yeah. that's what's doing it. Mm-hmm. I got to stay really relaxed when I'm playing. And I just, in general, need to be relaxed. And I don't need to do things I do not want to do. Mm-hmm. So the little hair stands up on the back of my neck when someone's calls. I say no. If I can't get excited about it, I'm not doing it. I'm just mm-hmm. not going to do it. Unfortunately, my, you know, my, my, my life partner, uh, she doesn't, she's really cool about that because she wants me to get well. So I started being very militant about turning things down. And mm-hmm. I, I came up with four criteria, okay. whether I take a gig or not. And uh, it's, is the music good? Mm-hmm. Uh, are the conditions good? Yeah. Is the money good? And is it fun? And if I can, if I can get three out of four, I'll get it. Yeah. You know, like say the gig doesn't pay that great, or maybe there's no money at all, but it's in Cozumel, with the Ritz with Kevin Gordon. Yeah. You know yeah. that guy, that three out of four gets it. I'm gone. You know. Right. Same way, if I know that the music's just terrible, but yeah. you know the conditions are going to be okay and the money's good, and the guys are the guys are nice. I'm in, you know, I, was, I can suck it up and I'm in. So that has been serving me really well, just to have those four things that I sort of run it by the criteria. And if it, you know, it, it's a way of quantifying that creepy feeling I get when sometimes when people call and I go, uh, which another thing is I don't answer the phone anymore. I always let it ring to voicemail. So I give myself a little time to think about, okay, yes. how much do I want to ask this guy? for how much money and uh, how or how am I going to tell this guy no or how am I going to ask for more money or any of those things that you want to strategize they're going to leave you a message unless they're really desperate (laughs) need a drummer right that second Uh, so I always let it ring and 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 think about uh, how I'm going to respond how long have you been doing this we, uh, the, the criteria thing? Yeah. About a year and a half. Since this neck thing, that was the kind of deal breaker. Because that was, for the first time, like, I couldn't, for a while there, I couldn't look at charts. I couldn't look up and look at the front guy, except for just snag a look and then look okay. back down yeah. again. So yeah. that's yeah. pretty serious. Unfortunately, through the amazing doctors at TOA, I'm much, much better. Okay. Uh, even though it's never going away. Yeah. It's not the kind of thing that goes away. So I'm managing it really well. But part of managing it is is for me not doing things I don't want to do unless yeah. there's just a ton of money involved and then I kind of want to do them anyway, you know. Right, right. Because there's money, it's good money and I can buy some more hi-fi gear or something, <laughs> new snare drum. Well, the, and it's kind of come up a couple times here and you're talking about like, I'm, I'm going to do my thing. Yeah. I'm not going to apologize for Yes. It. I'm going to take gigs um, that I want to take yeah. and that meet this. Sort yes, of that I here. fit. Yeah, that feel like, sure, oh yeah, that's a good sure. fit. I can believe in that artistically. Like, yeah. uh, there's going to be some calls, and I've gotten them where you know, I'm just like, why in the world did they call me? What are they listening to? And and uh, and uh, I, you know, I, I took them, you know, and it didn't mm-hmm. work. It didn't go. It usually, doesn't. You kind of know, I think, uh, right? You right. know, and if you don't, maybe you're not a hundred percent, but still, it's worth playing the odds. I think, because yeah. uh, we know a lot of drummers that have regular drumming gigs that they would probably rather 
be working at Calypso, you know, because mm. it's because at least you're not. But how do you prevent that from happening? Like mm. I just want to yeah. play drums. Right. I just I don't care what it is, and if right. I can make a living, it's all good. Right. And right. then there's the reality like, of that. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I like Kevin Gordon. Yeah. How do I get to play more yeah. like yeah. guys like him? All right. Well, for me, it was it was just I couldn't do the other. If I could have played, if I had had the ability or the ear or the sensibilities to play like Chad Cromwell, I would have played like Chad Cromwell. I really would have. I did not set out to be a goofy good drummer, a uh, circus drummer. So someone said. But man, you're, you're playing with some great people and, and mm. playing some cool stuff. And well, fortunately, not everybody wants Chad Cromwell, you know, and that's and that's why. I'll ask him. <laughs> He's my next interview. Is he? <laughs> you know, I don't even know him. Uh, but I, uh, but I, you know, when I, of course, you know, for years, just like Jesus, that guy again. I mean, he's amazing. You know, he's on everything, and there's a reason for that, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but fortunately, there's a little there's a little cracks in between yeah, right. uh, Eddie Bears and and. Uh, Chad Cromwell and the guys that are getting all the work on the row. And especially now, because it's so democratic with the recording process. Yeah. That's the good side, I think, of what's happened into to the music business is, right. that, is that you can play on really cool records and never set foot in a quote-unquote recording studio yeah you know uh some of the you know home studios You're sitting are, above my recording that's right exactly <laughs> that's right and uh so it's 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 changed and uh, on the one hand it's 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 the the business has taken a real hit obviously uh but on the other you can there are niches and yeah. i think that's why i, I was lucky i kind of sort of fit a the Louisiana thing. People like that, you know, and mm -hmm. because I picked up on that at a young age in New Orleans, you can't miss it. If you're a drummer, mm -hmm. you just can't miss it. It's everywhere. Even the country stations play, you know, the meters and Professor Long here in New Orleans on mm -hmm. during Mardi Gras. So you just can't miss that thing. And, and, if, and, uh, and then you fall in love with drummers down there that do that sort of thing. And guys that, you know, like Vodakovich, that guy, he's, oh you know, gosh. he works and he's a nut. So I'm thinking, well, you know, there's a lot of nuts out there working in the music business. So, uh, and I'm a nut, and I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. And uh, uh, so, uh, you know, I just sort of forged ahead, you know, and I just kind of tried to not, tried so hard not to stop, not to let it get to the point where I was so self-critical yeah. that I, I had to at some point understand that that voice in my head that was saying, you are not good enough to do this, was was stupid. It was just a lie, you know. Right. I Me, mean, I'm not the greatest drummer in the world. I'm not gonna. That's a lie too. But by the same token, uh, I must have something, you know, that I've yeah. been able to keep working all this time. So I have to take stock in that. And just yep. if all worst comes to worst, and you just tell yourself, well, you know, you're doing this. You've done it your whole life, and you've yes. been able to do it your whole life. Yes. So that in itself is something to be very, very proud of. Yeah. And uh, and then as far as the rest, just. I think meditation is really good at this, being able to direct your mind for a drummer. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been doing some meditation, and I think being able to direct your mind, like when, you, when those thoughts rise up in your head, I'm not good enough, rather than indulging it and just wallowing in it, yeah. drinking it in, yes. you look at it and go, where's that thing that's held me back so long? There's that thing as a phenomenon that pops up, and just look at it and just let it go. I'm not going to go there. And, uh, and that has been really helpful to me. And it hel it's helpful for me while I'm playing 
Because I'll, in fact, you start, you know, I'm sure as well as anyone, if you start thinking, am I playing in time? Am I rushing? Am I dragging? You're done. You're toast. So I think meditation can help with that too. It can help when that, when that temptation to nitpick your timekeeping comes up in your brain, you can just acknowledge it and just, you know, that's dangerous ground. Don't go there. It's a lie. Uh, And and you can't think about time while you're keeping time. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm 100% at it, but I'm saying I think I might, after all these years of doing it, have yeah. finally found a way to keep that stuff out of my head. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I feel like I'm killing two birds with one stone. I needed this conversation. I needed you to tell me this stuff. Yeah. And we're recording at the same time. <laughs> That's so great. Oh. I'm serious, man. I, I, my brain is my worst enemy. Yeah. Yes. It gets in the way all the time. Yeah. It drives me nuts. Yeah. And... Um, no, I, I, that's that's not awesome. being in the moment, like anticipating that turnaround that's coming up, or that fill, or that lick that you you worry about. So you're not in the moment. You're not you're not in the groove. You're looking ahead. It's just how life is the same way. Yeah. You're looking back at the song, at the lick you just flubbed, or you're looking ahead at the lick you're afraid you're going to mm-hmm. flub. Yeah. And that is, but then that's going to make you rush. You're going to you're going to. You're going to get into that fill a little early because you're anticipating it and you're worried right, about it. Right. So if you can just stay on the beat with your brain and not look ahead to the ending or whatever. There's times, and even kind of on a micro level, where uh, I'll have a click and I'll work on something and I'll work on a, a lick or, or a feel or something. And then I'll hit record. Mm-hmm. And it, and it changes. Yes. Something right. chemically changes. Something yeah. happens that, what is it that I can do to play that same feel, that same lick, with the confidence and the flow when the record button Isn't that something, yeah. yeah. And how is it that these players that record all the time right how do they do it is it just because that's how they play they're playing most of the time yeah. with the record button right yeah well i think you're onto something there with recording all the time because and that's what's so great about the rig you've got set up here because you'll be doing that uh whereas with me you know i'm not i'm not the busiest drummer in the world so if i if, if i've got a session but you're recording i know you're recording a lot more than i am i guess uh, i always think you're recording more than i am no. okay <laughs> <laughs> but, if, but if i if, if you know if i have if i do if i have one say an average of one session a week i forget where we were going with this Recording. Oh yeah, you're hearing yourself do it. That's that's all well and good. That's great. I can make a living that way. Maybe do a couple of live gigs around it, and maybe some sessions, some weeks I have three. You know, uh, but um, but uh, wait, I'm kind of still I'm getting kind of confused now. <laughs> can you edit this out? Uh, yeah, sure, sure. It's no. <laughs> a great point. I swear it is. Oh, I know what it is. Okay, it's like Chad Cromwell. Yeah. There was a period of time, take Chad for example in Nashville where. He was, you know, he still is top, you know, one of the top of the pile, top of the anthill. Yeah. So that meant he was doing it every day. Now, I don't know, Chad, I don't know what he, you'll find out, I guess, yeah. whether he's doing it every day now. But a lot of these guys, Milton Sledge, mm-hmm. the guys that were big when I first got here, Bayers, they got themselves in a situation for a producer doing demos, whatever, where they were doing it every single day. Someone took them under their wing yeah. and they did it every day for a period of time, maybe 10 years. And I think that is really beneficial. If you can get the times I've grown the most as a drummer are the times when I was the most busy, when I was in the studio and hearing yourself and it becomes taken for you're taken for granted world. 
And uh, so when the red light goes on, it's not that much different than when the red light's not on. Yep. And that getting the only way to do that is experience, I think. And yep. Just keep doing it. Keep and, and so if you can get under someone's wing like that, even if it's not making much money, even if it's not making any money, it's just you and your buddy. But you're hearing yourself played back every day or a lot of days. Uh, well, I think technology is such that you can put your phone yeah, down. Yeah, it's true. And hit yeah, that's true. I'm just lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you with Elizabeth Cook at the Opry. Oh, yeah. And your left-handed Oh, player. God. Yeah, that's How do you that's, that's that. that stuff? Well, that, again, too, is uh, it's become a game to me. Like, uh, it's, it, I've been doing it so long, I'm never comfortable. Uh, it's always playing a house kit. is always, and, or if my drums are the house kit, and then they're getting turned around and turned back again. Uh, I had a teacher uh, a very long time ago uh, when I first started who, I was actually playing open-handed like Eddie Bayer's plays, mm-hmm. left-handed on a right-handed drum set. Makes all the sense in the world. And I, I can do that now. I, I practice that way when I practice. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I have to do it so much. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, that, but this, this teacher, he turned me around to mirror image, which is what I do now, mirror image to a right-handed kit, so com- true left-handed kit. And I'd like to hunt that guy down now and kill him. I mean, really, that was what a pain in the butt that has been. <laughs> I mean, honestly, terrible advice to give a kid. If you're left-handed, learn to play on a right-handed kit. It's like if you're left-handed, you learn to play on a piano that's a correct piano and not a yeah, freaking right, right. left-handed piano. Right. They don't make one, and that's good. They shouldn't make left-handed drums either. <laughs> Someone said there was no left-handed... There was a big complaint on the left-handed drummer Facebook page, which, yes, there is one. Uh, <laughs> and they were all griping how there were no left-handed drums at the NAMM show. And I'm like, good. You know, good. You need to learn to play on a right-handed kit because you're going to have to. And uh, I remember back in the Nashville Now days when they did that live television yep. two-hour TV show, it was good work for all of us because, we, you know, you'd always end up doing it every couple weeks and it was okay money. But there was never time to turn the kit around at all. So I had to play on a true right-handed kit. And it wasn't like a little five-piece kit either. This was the 80s. So this guy had like, you know, six toms and yeah. two bass drums and a gong, you know. Country. <laughs> Keep the country. Country music. But I, yeah. What do you practice when you practice? At home? Uh, uh, I've got a little tiny kit set up in the shed mm-hmm. uh, that I literally will just... I'll randomly grab something off of YouTube. I'll just fiddle around on YouTube. Vodakovich has a bunch of stuff. Anybody that's got less than any stuff up there, and a lot of it's terrible. But I'll just, you know, look up Samba or something like that on a drum set and, and try to make sense of what the guy's doing. And uh, I'll just practice that and try to get a groove. Especially, like you say, the stuff that trips you up, like... Uh, things that are the pat your tummy, rub your head kind of stuff. Think independence. Yeah. stuff i'll look for something like that like yeah. a, i really like afro beat and things like that yes. so i'll try to find yeah. some yeah. Uh, there's a ton of that yeah it's not hard to find and uh so i'll do that and then other times i really do like to just have a practice pad in front of me so i've somebody sent me this really cool practice pad i wish i could endorse it but i can't i don't think he ever went into production with it anyway so it doesn't matter but it was a beautiful and the most authentic feeling rubber pad yeah. i've ever had so i'll leave that around nice. and uh and once again, I like to do the mind-bending sort of things, like, you know, seven against four and try to do okay. a seven-stroke, a continuous seven-stroke roll against yeah. in four four times, things like that. Uh, um, silly things like in, uh, inverted double-stroke roll, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. an inverted double-stroke roll, look it up, it is uh, a shuffle. Okay, yeah. If you start right, with, left, right. Yeah, starting with the, right. starting with a single beat. 
da 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 da. So it's a shuffle with the accent on the second half of the quarter yeah. or the eighth note, and uh, so things like that that can sort of just help you fluid yourself, and things that are also is a bit of a twister, you know, a mind blower. So I can sit in front of the TV and just uh, and do those sort yeah. of things. Yeah, it's so funny. I've got practice pads around. Well, I keep losing. I keep leaving them on the road. But you know, around the <laughs> yeah, house, yeah. there's a, you open up a drawer and there's a pair of sticks. Yeah, yeah, that's know, how we are. Yeah, yeah. Sticks. Yeah. And, uh, it's funny. I, I never. My family never says, "Please stop." Right. I don't yeah. watch TV. I bought <laughs> yeah. the practice pad. I sit down. I'm yeah. watching a movie. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. That's my great. They've just grown up around it. Yes. My wife is so patient. Oh yeah. Mine I'll come too. up from practicing yeah. and she'll be in the middle of a nap. Yeah. Well, I think if you've ever had the other thing where your significant other or your girlfriend is not crazy about your chosen profession, uh, you have to be very appreciative when you meet someone that is. And, oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, well, that's done and done. Done and done. Um, I want to ask you about um, maybe is there one compliment about your playing that you hear over and over mm. from people in your life? Yeah, that musical. Yeah, I'm a musical drummer. Which that, yeah, that must bring me to tears. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm emotional yeah. about it. But yeah. uh, because, that, like, like we're talking about practicing earlier, uh, I practice on other instruments. Really, the drums. It's just been so. You know, it's just the thought of I have to make myself go practice drums. Whereas I have a ukulele and a couple of guitars and a bass and uh, and a, for years had a little had a Hammond organ and, and stuff. That was always easy to just sort of put on a record and play Hammond. Well, when organ. you said when I asked you, I thought that I don't. I think I know what his answer is going to be. Uh, what do you practice? And you and I thought you were going to say, oh, I really don't. Right, practice. right. But you you, you said, oh yeah, yeah I was. Yeah. I, I mean, I was just I was just surprised. No, no, I think so your interests are very varied interest and and yeah. and. Your answer that people compliment you on your musicality, musicality. that you're a musical drummer, that's not surprising at all. Oh, that's nice to hear. But um, it, it, it's not a reflection of your yeah. abilities that, that you don't practice. You know, that, right. you do, that yeah. someone would practice or not practice. But sometimes, um, you know, depending on what the person does, how yeah. busy they are playing right. already, yes. or you know where they are in life, or the time restraints, right. or their varied interests. Mm. Sometimes practicing just isn't right. a thing. I mean, some people say, "Oh man, you practice too much." Well, see, you that's know? true, and I bet, and, and some people do. That's absolutely true that you could practice too much. But there, uh, but I think, yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. I've, uh, I, I do it like di- like dieting, you know. It's like I'll I'll, I'll sit down, have a talk with myself. You got to practice, and and I'll, I'll enjoy it, and I'll I'll be really good for like three weeks, and then I won't do it again for months. So that's that's yeah. how it works with me. Yeah. I'll I'll have a talk with myself and say you got to get out there and practice, you know. So I'll get out there and be pretty good for a few days, and then I'll get then I'll decide you got to get out there and exercise. So I'll exercise and I won't practice, yeah. uh, and then but but the the noodling never stops. The yeah. noodling never stops. The interest. I'll be driving down the street and I'll have something. Now, what was that groove? And I'll be tapping on, like, I think any drummer. Yeah, yeah. If, you're, if you're not doing that, then I, I would suggest perhaps you're in the wrong line of work. <laughs> really. Because drummers, that's what we do. And in my head, we're, uh, so I'm practicing. Oh, that's the other thing. Uh, I, you know, you hear about athletes that, don't, that, that maybe they're in rehab, so they can't play tennis or they can't, but they can practice in their head. And I think that when you've played drums as long as we have, you can you ought to be able to do that too. So if you're if you're working on a chart, you don't necessarily have to go down to the shed and go. You can you can either air drum it, 
which I do that a lot because yeah. it saves the impact on my hands. Yeah. Uh, and that's because, which I said, you know, giving me some trouble. Uh, but you know, that, so there's ways around that. And I think you can sort of imagine yourself. If you can work out, like sticking, that's one of the big, that's one, that's what we have to figure out. So there'll be a, I'll be working on a chart and there's something, oh, I'm going to have to figure out how to get around and mm-hmm. do that. I don't have to go to the kit to do that. I can yeah. just sort of work it out in my head. Yeah, and you have to learn to manage that stuff because you could be stuck on the plane. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. yeah. Elvin Jones, there's a great quote where he said, uh, when you're playing, no I thoughts. Uh, don't say i'm gonna do this oh yeah i can do this i can't do that don't think about yourself think about the other musicians that you know that brings up something too i found that when i get that way and i think i'm losing it find something else to listen to that's not you doesn't matter anybody else in the band pick the guy out that's got the groovy thing going on and listen to him or her and and play with that person, and just and just direct your thoughts away from the kit, yep. and out into space, and and into the bigger picture of what's going on, and how you fit in that, and let someone else play the eighth notes, you know, mm-hmm. and you just play the backbeat, and then you know, if I find it, I thought, boy, if I'm feeling like something's wrong, I'll just lay off, I'll quit trying to be stick chopper man over there on the hi hat, you know, and just drop that thing, and let it either play quarters or drop, you know, try to drop it out altogether, yep. and just sort of feel where. The guy who wrote the songs is putting the eighth notes. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and that's the kind of drummer I am. I think there's different types of drummers. There's, And I think this is my failed jazz drummer training. I tend to f- hear and follow. You know, I react. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what jazz drummers do. Uh, and uh, there's other guys that are like the frozen rope, you know, just straight line, like count it off. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I don't care what you do, you know, dude in hat. I'm just going to. I'm, here, here's the beat and a lot of guys need that and they want that but not everybody does a lot of guys like Snyder uh, Todd Snyder who I work with a lot uh, they want to be out of, it's the Dylan model they don't want it to be the same way every night hmm. uh, and I'm good at that sort of thing I'm much better at that than because mm-hmm. I usually can't remember what I did the night before so so um, if uh, like someone like Todd like there was times when I would literally just like I wouldn't play on the verses. Like if, if he if he's trying to do a certain thing where I can feel him really wanting time to really move to the point where drums are no longer appropriate wow. as far as the rhythm goes. Yeah. Uh, so I would just stop. Yeah. And let him go. You know. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, so that's I think. And then there's the other guys who are much more metronomic. And I think the world needs both of those kind of drummers. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are I think the different schools of drummers, and you have to be able to do both. You have to try to do both, you know. Yeah. There's times when you have to lay it down, and there's times when you have to float. Right. And guys don't want you to lay it down. Yeah, I think that's my. That was my uh, question going way back. Is like, it, do you have to do both? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We no, I guess not. I guess not. You don't have to, but you'll maybe get more work if you do. Or I think you got to try. You know, you go in there and you and you try to. I think what you have to be able to do is. Maybe have your thing, or I feel like I have my thing, but there's times when my thing can be a little more circusy. You know, I can really spread it out and yeah. and just slop yeah. all over the place. Yeah. But there's time. I guess it all comes down to your ear. You know, there's times when you're when you what you're hearing is you know I really need to be more 
on a point here. Yeah. And, and uh, sure. it hasn't really changed my style. I don't. I still no, don't no. sound like Chad. Uh, still I'm still going to sound like. Always going to be you. I'm right. always going to sound like I just hit my head. That's what somebody. <laughs> that's what somebody said. <laughs> Paul, you play like you just hit your head. Uh, a Gary Talent. Uh, uh, one time, I was making a record for him, and he said, "Paul." I can't tell if you've been playing for 30 years or 30 days. <laughs> I thought, well, that, 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 now that's a compliment to me because, because I do like to do stupid shit. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I, I really, I'll go there, you know, if somebody wants it. And, uh, but I guess that's for me, it's knowing when to turn that off and, right. and kind of reading the room sure. and, and knowing when it's time to be a little more, I say sober, but that doesn't mean that I'm fucked up on the gig. It just means yeah. I'm not acting like... I'm not slopping, you know. Right. It's, well, th- dude, there's a quote from somebody. I was I was digging around on the internet, uh, Steph, and somebody described you as, and this is just part all part of the sentence, so it's paraphrasing, but uh, no, it's not. But it says, uh, loose and solid at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Loose that's the kind of thing I like to hear. Time. Well, that's great. Yeah, I like that. And I think that goes around, that, that's the New Orleans thing, because part of learning to play New Orleans drums, the second line mm-hmm. feel, is you have to sound like more than one guy. Because right. that stuff right. is more than one right. guy. Right. Right. Uh, so so yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's like one, one, of, one, one of the drummers I am is good, and the other guy is not quite as good. <laughs> the 30-year-old, 30 yeah. years experience and 30 yeah. days experience. That's right. I got 30 years of experience in my, in my right hand and 30 days in my left. Um. I think one last thing I want to ask you is um, drummers that you're inspired by, mm. um, drummers that have influenced you maybe over the years mm-hmm. or maybe more recently, mm. something right. that you've been listening to, and that kind of falls into that category of that Desert Island Records that mm. if you had five, mm. I don't know which one to ask you, but maybe just pose that mm, idea. Right. My all-time future. favorite drummer is Earl Palmer. Okay. All time favorite drummer. I don't think there's ever a better all around player. Uh, he had the New Orleans thing, you know, and he played on all those hit records from, from the David Bartholomew Orchestra, you know, from Fats Domino to Little Richard. Uh, and then he went out to California and, and played on Carpenter's records and, and, and played on, uh, you know, Turn, 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 you know, the birds. And, and, uh, he just does it all, and he could do the stripper drums. And I'm I'm way off in the Lou Rawls land right now. I love Lou Rawls and his playing on the David Axelrod records. Mm. Lou Rawls made because I think David Axelrod really liked Earl Palmer, and he said just cut loose, you know. And it's wow. it's just stripper drums. It's incredible. Mm. Uh, so he's I think at the top of my top of my list. Uh, and then Keltner because yeah. because of he of who he you know because he sort of has a thing yeah. that he is brought to. And that's that's the New Orleans guys too. I love the New Orleans guys that went on to play on hits hit records. Zigaboo, uh, Modalest from the Meters, mm-hmm. same way for him. He went, you know, he played on big records. And uh, 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 Tubby Ziegler is very unknown, underrated name. You never hear his name. Yeah, I don't know that. He's a Baton Rouge guy, and he played in a band called Cold Grits, which was kind of the White Meters with a guy named Hal Cowart, bass player, rhythm section. And for whatever reason, I forget who drug them out there, but they went to Criterion in Miami sometime in the mid-70s, I guess, played on a session for someone, and never left. So those two guys, and I mean, they are country. Wow. Alexandria, Louisiana boys, you know, just 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 
country as hell. Mm-hmm. They ended up playing on all the disco stuff, all the BGs, uh, anything out of Criterion, the glitzy of, of the glitziest of the glitzy. And here's this guy, you know, he's just soon be driving around in his truck shooting turkeys, you know. His name is Tubby Ziegler, and he's had some health stuff. He's on Facebook. He's still alive. But he is on, check his credits, unbelievable amount of records. Again, because he came from Louisiana, and he took yeah. that Louisiana thing and made it big and, and made it and wedged it into the larger music business, which at the time was disco. And it was, you know, it was funky, kind of. Oh, so, yeah. you know, he did that stuff really well. And it, uh uh, so I love guys, the guys like that, the guys from New Orleans that went on to be session drummers. And I'll never reach that level, uh, of course, of success, but but that's kind of been my model anyway, you know, mm-hmm. to sort of be that one of those guys that has this this secret style, almost, you know, mm-hmm. kind of gnosis uh, understanding of this weird groove, and has somehow made, managed to shoehorn that in, in my case, mostly Americana mm-hmm. music, you know. So I feel like... We've tried to answer some questions, and I have more questions <laughs> as a result. I'm serious, man. Uh, I, I've, I've been struggling this week with some recording that I've been yeah. doing and trying to get out of my head. And yeah. I feel like when we're done here, I'm going to go take a walk, and I'm going to come back. And the next two days, I'm going to... I'm gonna play. Destroy it. I'm gonna, yeah, I feel I feel yeah. better, man. Sure. And I hope yeah, that that's good to hear. This conversation is does the same for anyone that listens to it. That's what's so great about what you're doing is because so rarely do we. I've often thought I wish there was a drummer support group, you know, <laughs> like met, met once a week that we could just sob and, and tell all of our you can't play in time. He stands up there, yells at me, but he can't play in time. You know, something like that. But this is doing that. This is sort of a, so. a, a surrogate. Uh, for that, and uh, it's very important. I hope so, man, because um, we're not talking about uh, stick weight, right? Yeah, yeah we can, yeah, yeah. but um, it tends to fall into this area, I think, because of my own neuroses oh. and, and some of the same issues that that you deal with, yeah. and so many other people deal with, and maybe they don't want to hear it. But I think there's a, a niche audience yeah. that, um, like you and me, yes. that, that want to be like, can somebody please tell yeah. me if I'm the only one yeah. that's feeling Because so- you don't say it, right? I mean, you're, you don't want to ever say it when you're out hanging out at the club or something, you know. But it's so. I think it's a very valuable conversation yeah. to have because we obviously all have these things in common. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, we all want the same thing, man. We, we just want to enjoy this, and we want to constantly learn, yeah. constantly grow. Yeah. I don't care where you are in the music business. I don't care where you are in life. I don't care how old or young you are. Um, and it's it's really fun to, well, it's, it's refreshing to hear um, players that you respect mm-hmm. um, just dealing with the same things that you deal with. Mm-hmm. And it just helps us move forward. Right. You know, yes, so. sort of the existential side of drumming. That's that's never, you never see it in modern drummer. You know, this that, is that's right. Really, so for the next ten minutes, we're gonna meditate. Okay, is, all right. It's gonna be a sound. Everybody now. Everybody, you're gonna hear the dog Bing. bark in the background. Yeah. The ice maker um, rendering. Dude, thank you so much. Oh, it's been a pleasure. It's just good to get to talk to you. I forgot these microphones are even here. So (laughs) that's good. You know what? We weren't even recording. Oh, good. Yes. Chad Cromwell's coming. He's going to replace my part. I know. I've been warped. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Paul. All right. Pleasure. Thanks, man. So there's my interview with Paul Griffith. Uh, If you hadn't noticed, Paul and I have known each other for years. Uh, Super cool guy. Uh, we, we, We got into some subject material. 
that was just really helpful for me uh, that week that we were talking. Um, I think there's some things that musicians don't talk about. This kind of crushing self-doubt. We're always pumping each other up and and trying to uh, put on this brave face, if you will, within the music business, uh, so people don't know that there's times that we, you know, we deal with uh, these very human things that can. Um, impede progress and and, but it's normal it's normal so it's it was just a great conversation and uh, I don't know if you needed it but uh, I needed it and I'm just I'm feeling feeling strong feeling much better these days so my thanks to Paul for his time and just hang and uh, such a great drummer and great musician and creative guy so um, I hope you guys enjoyed that Uh, thanks technical help from Mike Jackson Uh, appreciate him so much and um, again, check out Zach Albetta's uh, episode from last week and coming up next week. I want to mention a shout out to a uh, Nashville drummer here, a great drummer, Dave Harrison. He posted something on our Facebook page. He wrote, uh, Hi, Matthew. Just wanted to tell you that I binged listened to a bunch of interviews on a trip recently. The podcast really got me through the hours of driving. I love what you're doing. The interviews are high quality, and the passion you have for it really comes through. It always stays in a positive light. Keep up the great work. So these comments uh, are really helpful for us. Um, it's it's it feels good. It's nice to uh, read those positive comments, but it also helps us know kind of what we're doing right. What's kind of uh, on point for some of uh, the listeners. Any reviews uh, and ratings on iTunes really helps us move forward and grow. So if you guys have a minute, please go on there and um, uh, help us out. Uh, That'd be super great. So thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it so much. And uh, we'll see you around. Bye-bye.